I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? I do have some gripes because let's face it, I always have to have gripes. Terrible, 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 terrible. It is torture listening to these accents. I think it's pretty near a perfect show. Each season they basically blow up the show. He's a fucking badass. This is a massive spoiler alert, so seriously, if you're still listening, I don't know why you're still listening to this segment. This show has been huge all around the world. Why would you sign the release showing that? A friend of mine gave birth in her um, in her bathroom. He's a father, he's a friend, and he's a guy looking for love. Welcome back to Binge List, Who Magazine's TV podcast. Once again, Matthew Demby is on holiday, the slacker. Uh, so you're left with me, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon to talk about all things TV. Hi, Claire. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty excited because we're at that time of year when the new US TV season has started. So over the next few weeks, we're going to get a whole lot of returning shows and new series fast-tracked from America to Australia. I love this time of year, don't you, Claire? Yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's um, I feel like this year, especially in the last couple of months it's been slim pickings a little bit but um yeah there's some really good stuff coming up to the end of the year so I think that we're going to have a good couple of weeks chatting about it all to be honest. We are, we are. Now we're going to talk about a few of the new US shows, but first, Australian Survivor. We're down to the final four contestants and last two episodes of this season of Australian Survivor. It feels like it's been going forever. Was it really only August 1 when we met our champions <laughs> and contenders? I didn't expect actually to still be watching this season as at this late stage, given how early I bailed out during season two and how frustrated by season one I was. But I feel like they've finally cracked it. Overall, there's been less padding, less stretching and kind of less of everything. Yes, there are still too many contestants, and yes, it feels like it's been going for about seven months, but it's been the best effort at emulating the feel and editing of the US version for me. And towards the end, we're, you know, we're getting a little bit of repetition because there's less people and less storylines, but it really doesn't feel as dragged out as season one did. So it seems that 10 have finally got the message that slightly less is more. Claire, what have you made of this season? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Gab. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that... um. It's a big time commitment, this show, and I feel like I can only really have one other show that um, is like this that requires multiple nights viewing, and that, for me, is the block. So I have a, I must admit, I've dipped out, but um, it also, because it's on at 7.30, I don't know about you, this is a bit lame to admit this, but that's like kid going to bedtime in our house. So <laughs> it's always like, book in bed, and I'm like, come on, hurry up with the Airy McClary, I need to which Survivor on. So I did catch it last night, actually, and what an absolute belter of an episode. For those that didn't see it, spoiler alert, Shane and Shay did the best side swipe ever on um, persuading Brian to change his vote. Um, Shay had the immunity idol. She got to stay in. It was just beautifully played. And I, I'm totally with you, Gavin. I feel like they have taken from the US playbook a little bit more. Um yeah, there was a little bit of chatter on Twitter last night that maybe uh, it was obvious that uh, What's-Her-Face was going home because Vanilla. of some of the... 
Fenella, yeah, some of the packages, her hair looked too clean, which I thought was yeah. funny. So, like, <laughs> do they do that kind of stuff? Do they go back and re? Well, maybe. Them? I guess maybe they do. And that's the thing. Survivor fans are eagle-eyed. They're always on the lookout oh, yeah. for, for these types of things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely been, as it's getting down to the wire, it, it's, it's heating up a bit. I feel like um, it, it's been quite head-to-head this season with the premise of champions versus contenders. I think that's been quite a good one, even though the, um, the, the, champions, yeah. the champions, you know, trounce the contenders overall. But it does feel like it's been a little bit um, more combative possibly than, than uh, definitely in season one where people wanted to be friends and all that kind of thing. It feels like people are out to win and I like that about this show. Oh, yeah, especially the girls. I don't know because I'm not a, a rabid Survivor follower, but Gav, is it quite unusual to have this many women in the final six? Uh, it is, right? I mean, it's weird that there's just one dude, surely. Sometimes, yeah. There was an American season where that happened and, and the guy actually won and he was there at the end with quite a few women. It was like way back. With um, a harem. Uh, with <laughs> a harem, yes. Uh, so it does, yeah, it, it changes season to season and, and that is the good thing about Survivor. But I do have some gripes because, let's face it, I always have to have gripes. Yeah, go on. Go I on, did, I, gripe. I didn't really like the dead man walking twist that um, sure Steve Commando just kind of hanging around for another episode. Yeah, that yeah. It didn't I didn't see the point of that. Um, Exile Island. I was like, why have it if you're only going to use it twice? There was a, some random duel in the middle between uh, Tegan and Anita that was kind of why did they just throw that in as a one off? Yeah, they, they seem to like throwing in these random one off twists for effect. Uh, rather than, you know, whereas America, in the American one, they kind of, they would have a season where it's all about the jewels. Um, they, they, yeah, they like these kind of random twists. But um, obviously, I felt like the big problem was if you're going to load one tribe with a whole lot of athletes, have a few challenges that don't rely on brute strength. Yeah, that's a really good point. Although in saying that, Gav, I mean, some of the people that you would expect to do quite well at those haven't and vice versa. I mean, I've been surprised by um, little some of the little nuggety chicks have been pretty good. Like last night in that one where they have to hang upside down off the lock, like she... Um, Oh, God, I'm so bad with their names, but the little blonde chick. Oh, Shawnee. Um, yeah, Shawnee. She's like a little nugget. And, um, yeah, and I think a couple of weeks back, Shane as well surprised everyone with her ability to stand on a log or something. And you think, oh, God, she's actually quite old. Like, that's very impressive. I don't know. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, I think in the individual ones, sometimes they favour the uh, the women if you've got a balance or you know stand on little things. Whereas earlier in the season, when it was still the tribes, I feel like you know those ones like carrying a whole lot of packs or you know mm, jumping yeah. and diving and throwing and you know pushing each other off pontoons and that kind of thing. It did feel imbalanced towards the um, towards the champions a little bit. And you know what? I'm, I'm not the only one who thinks this. Jonathan LaPaglia agrees with me. I chatted to him yesterday, a great interview for, really? about, for about half an hour. And, uh, yeah, he agreed with me on this and a couple of other things, um, a couple of my other problems with Australian Survivor. So let's have a little listen to what Jonathan had to say. Oh, can we? Awesome. It's always easy in retrospect, you know, but I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the faults this season, if I could, you know, producers will probably hate me for saying this, but I think one of the faults is, was that the the cha- the um, challenges leading up to the merge maybe were were a little too weighted to the physical side yeah. of things. They probably should have had 
challenges that involved a little more in terms of physical dexterity instead of physical endurance and power, and also um, should have leaned on the mental side of things a little more as well. I think what they were aiming for was, uh, you know, the the you know champions versus contenders boxing match. You know, that's I think that's what they were trying to extract from the concept and maybe it was a little too in, too much in favor of the champions. That is another issue with the format. I mean, obviously, we've stretched it significantly from the U.S. version, right? Mm. I mean, the U.S. version is 39 days, 20 people, and it's 14 episodes. But we're doing 50, or in the first couple of seasons, was 55 days and 24 contestants and, you know, 25 episodes. So, and not only are we stretching it in terms of that, but also the episodes are longer, too. I mean, I think every second episode is is an hour and a half or maybe even longer with all the commercials in it. Um, so that really does stretch things out, and I think that's the padding that you're talking about that you were bumping on in season two. But I think we're doing... Aren't we doing the same thing this year? I mean, the episodes, I think, are just as long. I think one is one hour and one's an hour and a half, and I, I don't know. I, I I just feel like whether or whether they've just got the message that we don't need to see the contestants say the same thing five times to understand what's going on. Yeah, well, I don't disagree. With you. Yeah, I, I don't need to, you know, defend it. I, I look, I'm all for making it as tight and as sharp as possible, and that is a challenge. You know, ten wants the extended format, but it is a challenge to keep the pace up and keep people engaged. So that was Jonathan LaPaglia basically agreeing with me, which I love. <laughs> was that the best day of your life? It was, it was. It was a really good chat. Um, and, you know, he's obviously become a fan by doing this show. Uh, and it's always, always great to, to, you know, that's the great thing about Twitter. It's great to talk to other fans of this show. He was always a fan, though, wasn't he? I, th- I think so. But I think doing the show has made him really appreciate the show. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he knows the ins and outs of it and all that kind of thing now. But, um, you know, it, it has been a big week for Survivor fans because not only do we have the uh, finale of Australian Survivor coming up, but we have a brand new season of US Survivor, season Yay. 37. Uh, return- That's just not 37. It is. it is. They've done two a year, so it actually hasn't been 37 years. <laughs> um, but uh, it, they've got a very similar premise to Champions versus Contenders, except they're calling it David versus Goliath. Cause, got know, that biblical over, overture to it. <laughs> that's right. That, that, that's the Mark Burnett influence in there. I think, didn't his wife <laughs> produce a miniseries, a biblical miniseries or something? I don't know. But, um, yeah, as, as evidenced by the Australian version, it's, it's a good premise. It instantly puts the tribes head to head. And I think the interesting thing about the American one was the Davids were all running around strategizing and forming bonds and all that kind of thing. Well, all the Goliaths, went out looking for the idol. The Davids were trying to form alliances and form bonds and work with each other. The Goliaths were all out for it for themselves. They were like, right, I need to find the individual immunity idol. And I think that says a very interesting thing about the nature of the two tribes, one working as a team and, and one all for themselves. So it would be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and it also says something interesting about America as well. I mean, yeah, because I, I feel like that was one of our criticisms in the early days of this season of Survivor was that the um, the champions were not really playing the game of Survivor. They were all a bit more about 
kumbaya around the campfire and not really kind of thinking about their strategy. But yeah, it sounds like the opposite might be the true in the American version. I think so. And I think because we had, I guess, quote unquote, celebrities or Olympians uh, in the Australian one who maybe weren't familiar with the game and, and weren't having to play the game because they kept winning challenges. So Australian Survivor finishes October 9 on Channel 10. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine. So a new US season means new episodes of The Good Place, which is the next show we're going to talk about. Claire, you and I both love this show. What's it about? Oh, The Good Place. Oh, well, basically, if you haven't seen this show, who are you even and why are you listening to this podcast? Because it's just fantastic. Um, it's our Kristen Bell and, um, and it's about a group of people who die and wake up in, quote, unquote, The Good Place, which is supposed to be heaven. There's a huge spoiler alert coming up, though. Uh, it's not what it seems. So, season three has just um, started up again in the States, and Netflix are showing it weekly. And it's been a while since we saw season two, so they've got this really great handy-dandy um, recap, which is basically Kristen Bell sort of recapping everything. And we pick up with Chidi, Eleanor, Tahani, and Jason all back on Earth with no recollection of the bad place. Or their debts. They've all been given a second chance, which is a really interesting premise. And there are a couple of new faces joining the cast this season. Um, Mike O'Malley, who plays the guard, which you would have seen in that first episode back, he's protecting the door, connecting the afterlife to Earth. And there is Killing Eve star, Kirby Hal Baptiste, who plays Simone, who's someone Chidi meets at university and asks to help fix his brain. Now, it's really hard to talk about this first episode of The Good Place without talking about the elephant in the room, which to every single Australian audience member is the terrible, 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 terrible Australian accent terrible. that we all have to listen to. They are so jarringly bad that it's led all of the Australian fans to wonder whether actually they're in the bad place and they're all demons in disguise because it is torture listening to these accents. What do you reckon, Gab? Oh, I agree, yeah. I, it's, you know... Obviously not filmed in Australia, but um, aren't there enough Australians in Hollywood that they could have just yeah, you'd think so. cast it with or Vancouver or, you know, all the places where American shows get filmed. I'm not sure where the good place gets filmed. Probably LA. There are so many Australians over there. Why couldn't they um, just, you know, pack it with Australians? And so we get these, yeah, these shocking, shocking accents, which um, is, the only, is my only gripe about the good place. Otherwise, I think it's pretty near a perfect show. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly how I feel about it too. I mean, there's a lot of um, interesting things about this show. So when we were watching at the beginning of season two, my husband and I were like, oh, I don't know, has it jumped the shark? And then we kept watching and we're like, oh, this is such an awesome premise. And we kind of felt that a little bit again. Um, he felt that a little bit after watching this new series. And I had to say to him, you know what, that's what you thought last year and that's the brilliant thing about this show is that it keeps reinventing itself the, the premise of the show keeps changing and so it keeps things really fresh but obviously the constant are those two five central characters who are just fantastic and it's really interesting to hear what the show's creator said to Rolling Stone um, he actually said in an interview that the four of them are straight back on earth in a new timeline and they don't die um, and it seems like a natural move to send them back to a time before they made that progress and to use the idea of nearly dying as a, 
an ability, uh, as a way to test their ability to improve. So, Gav, what do you kind of think? I mean, it's an interesting premise, isn't it? It is an interesting premise. And like you, I love the fact that each season they basically blow up the show and go, right, the show you thought you were watching, yep, we're done with that. We're going to do something completely different now. Still, you know, all in the same world or afterworld. But um, it it, it is, yeah, completely different each, each season. And I like seeing them on Earth um, and seeing them, you know, before they've died and before Eleanor got good. I love bad Eleanor. She's so... She's great. She, Kristen Bell is so good at playing that... Uh, She's a forking badass. She is. Oh, good. I'm glad someone got forking in. Um, yeah, she... I love seeing that side of her and seeing Chidi being completely indecisive again and Tahani. Oh, how good was Tahani's phone? And I wanted to um, – where it showed all the people, all the celebrities in her phone that she was yeah. deleting. And I was like, Tilda Swinton. And, and you know, I, I wasn't quick enough to see all the names. Taylor and, Swift was in there, yeah, I think, as well. Yeah, so that, that was pretty funny. It's, it's good seeing them in their pre-good place existence and, yeah, whether they'll get back to that point where they were in the good place. But can we talk about – and this is a massive spoiler alert. So seriously, if you're still listening, I don't know why you're still listening to this segment. But Adam Scott is back. Oh my god, Adam Scott is the best. So yeah, yeah I mean, right that bombshell right at the end of the first episode where it's just like, um, you know, they've the, the demons have kind of like <laughs> tapped into it and and they've sent Adam back down to earth and he's popped up in Chidi's experiment. You're like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. Once it got to that point and we saw Adam Scott walk in, I was like, right, okay, now I know what this season is about. And I think, yeah, sometimes when they do completely reinvent themselves, you've got to give it a second to go, okay, what's it going to be now? Oh, okay, I've got it. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. So if you like The Sound of the Good Place and we haven't completely spoiled it for you or you're already watching, uh, season three is airing weekly on Netflix. So from The Good Place, we're going to talk about The Good Doctor now, one good show to another. Uh, and The Good Doctor was a huge hit in Australia in its first season, and so it's understandable that Seven would fast-track the second season short, shortly after its US air dates. It's based on a South Korean series and follows a young surgical resident called Sean Murphy, played by Freddie Highmore. Now, Sean is autistic and he's a savant, which means he's exceptionally gifted and often sees things other doctors, other more experienced doctors, miss. And it tends to follow a case of the week format with some ongoing storylines about the lives and careers of the hospital staff. So it's basically, you know, a medical procedural with this other element of of Sean being the way he is and and how he copes with life and, and how actually he runs rings around people that he works with. And so a lot of the show does come down to Freddie's performance. Claire, what what do you think of Freddie in this show? Yeah, Freddie's amazing. He is the sole reason why this show is a success, I think. He's something incredibly charismatic about his performance. It's really interesting, actually, because I interviewed him for a newspaper article um, when the show first came out. And um, it was prior to it going to air on Seven in Australia, but it had just premiered that day that I was chatting to him in the States. And I asked him if he if the success over there had taken him by surprise because it had been this overnight rating smash. And he said, yeah, like they really genuinely, they, they knew they were making something good when they were making it, but they had no idea how much it would resonate with an audience and particularly with an international audience. I mean, this show has been huge all around the world. So, yeah, it's kind of, I, I always think back to that interview with Freddie and he was just on the precipice of this huge career just explosion. I mean, everyone wanted a piece of him after this show. And, um, yeah, he just genuinely was shocked. 
And it's really interesting. I feel as little bit as though Channel 7 were a bit taken by surprise by a success as well because prior to that, they hadn't really had no networks. In fact, on free-to-air television in Australia had had a runaway success. And this really, you could say, was a runaway success right from that very first episode. It's really interesting and probably because it's just a really interesting concept and Freddie's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of House. Um, Obviously, uh, Sean is a lot more likeable than House, but in the sense that there's this brilliant doctor who also has something else going on with with his personality and in House it was because Mm. basically he was, you know, a a jackass and uh, (laughs) drug addicted and all that kind of stuff, but still brilliant. In this case, he's got autism but is you know obviously highly functioning in in other areas and I think it's great to see this portrayal of of autism on screen and I think it will open people's eyes to yeah I think so too and that was another really interesting thing that I chatted to Freddie about um was that and what research he did and and he actually did do a, a huge amount of research before taking this role on but he said the most gratifying thing for him was all after the first episode went to air in the States, he got a stack of letters from people who are on the autism spectrum thanking him for his portrayal and basically humanising a condition that they live with. And he said that for him has been the most incredible um, part of being a part of this show is the feedback that he's getting from people who have felt probably quite marginalised up until this point. They haven't seen themselves depicted on mainstream TV in in a way that's as accessible as Freddie makes it. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. so that must be really amazing from an acting point of view. Yes. And now Channel 7 also has another uh, American medical drama returning for its second season, which is The Resident. So if... if uh uh, the Good Doctor is kind of like House. The Resident, for me, is kind of like Grey's Anatomy. It's a lot more soapy. It's a lot more about, mm. you know, doctors getting it on in the shower. And, and they're, you know, they're all so <laughs> attractive. Matt Zucri from your favourite show, Gilmore Girls. Oh, and and um, El- Emily Van Camp, who was great in Revenge. They're kind of the hottie doctors at, at the middle of this show. And, I mean, I have to say I prefer The Resident. If I was going to watch something yeah. every oh, week. Oh, I really do. Yeah, if I was going to watch something every week, it would be The Resident. Uh, it, yeah, the personal life storylines are a lot more amped up and they still have cases of the week, but it's very, it's much more soapy uh, than, than The Good Doctor. So that is also back. And so The Good Doctor airs Tuesdays on 7 and The Resident airs Thursdays on 7. So whichever way you like your medical drama, there's something for you. TV news. That's right, it's TV news time. And going from fictional doctors, we now move to real-life emergency services officers. And we have a slew of new factual series coming up on air that deal with ambos, paramedics, triple zero call centres. There's paramedics on 9, emergency call on 7 and ambulance on 10, all with a different approach and all short to rack up some good ratings because these type of factual series uh, do huge business. You know, Border Security, RBT, Border Patrol, Bondi Rescue, all those shows have done really well over the years. And I think these shows, dealing with ambos and, and you know, uh, paramedics, people like that, are going to do really well. Claire, do, do you think, are you surprised that this kind of area has been untapped until now? Yeah, I, I would disagree with you in saying that it's been untapped because um, SBS and ABC both have excellent versions of these types of shows um, from the UK where I think the format originated. um, There's 24 Hours in Emergency and um, A&E and all of those shows. There's quite a lot on Foxtel as well. One Born Every Minute. Yeah, yeah. um, They're fantastic and they're a great source of drama and 
also, but I find them pretty much impossible to watch, Gav, because they're just so bad for my anxiety. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I get really, really a real visceral thing because my biggest fear is ending up in hospitals. I've been in hospitals with people who've been seriously ill before and been in the back of ambulances and it's not something that I like to revisit. But having said that, if these kind of shows are up your alley, then you'll probably want to check out Paramedics on Nine. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, there's more than 2 million calls for help made every year in Victoria, which is one call every 12 seconds. So as you can tell, I mean, the, the, the cameras are following paramedics in and around Victoria. Um, that's a lot of potential stories to follow. And it's not a new format, but it is interesting to see how the Australian version differs from the British one. But for me, it just cuts a little bit too close to home. Gab, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think people are going to love these shows. And I guess, yeah, what I meant by untapped, I meant untapped in Australia because, yeah, there's yeah. heaps of these British shows. I don't, I don't know... Are the, are the British more hypochondriac than in Australia? Because there's that show GP where basically it's just a camera in a – oh, I don't know what it's called, but it's a camera in a GP's office. And you just see <laughs> people going in to see their GP. I'm like, why would you watch this? But people do. People love seeing – People love the NHS in the UK. You cannot underestimate people's love of the NHS. <laughs> and seeing other people's medical dramas and maybe thinking, oh, thank goodness I don't have that medical problem wrong with me. But um, in, in terms of these, uh, I guess, more emergency-based ones uh, coming to Australia, yeah, I watched Paramedics and I watched Emergency Call. I haven't seen Ambulance yet. But um, both Paramedics and Emergency Call are quite different. Paramedics follows the Ambos and Paramedics out there helping people. And I'm like, why would you sign the release showing that? I I kind of I would worry that about something happening to me and it ending up on TV. I um, know. Why would you do that? It's like embarrassing bodies. Why would you go on embarrassing bodies and go, um, yeah, so I had this problem with my left breast. And you're like, why would you do that? Very, very odd. But an emergency call is quite different. It's based in the call centre and you hear the calls coming in when people call, you know, OOO. And it's watching the people deal with those calls. And it's a really, really simple setup, but it's really tense because obviously yeah. these people are sitting there having to talk these people through, you know, horrible things happening and, and life and death situations. And they're just staying so calm and composed. I and know. They're amazing, aren't they? they I don't are. know if you've ever had to call a triple zero emergency three, but these people are like serious lifesavers, literally. A friend of mine gave birth in her um in her bathroom and um, her husband was talked through the process by a triple zero operator and he ended up delivering his own baby. I mean, it's incredible what these people get to hear and do on a daily basis. It is, it is. So if you are interested in watching these shows, Paramedics begins October 4 on 9, Emergency Call begins October 8 on 7, and Ambulance begins October October 16 on 10. So, yeah, something for everyone. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. And this week we're deciding whether to binge or not to binge new showcase series, Mr. Inbetween, or Fox Showcase, as I should call it, because it's just been rebranded. So Mr. Inbetween was created by and stars Scott Ryan, and it's directed by Nash Edgerton. It focuses on a standover man and hitman, Ray Shoesmith. It's set in Sydney and Ray does the types of things you'd expect your average criminal to do. He threatens people, he kills people, he engages in illegal activity. But we see the other side of his life. He's a father, he's a friend and he's a guy looking for love. And at first I was like, are we really still making shows like this? It's such a boy thing to do. Let's play at being tough guys. Yeah, let's make a show about criminals, but, you know, complicated criminals. Like, they're not all bad. They have ice cream with little girls. They look after their sick mate. 
but they're still hard. And, you know, they might push a guy off mm-hmm. a set of stairs every now and then. But by the end of the first episode, I started to hate it less. And actually, I kind of liked it by the end. Uh, because, I, I don't know, it grew on me. And I think Scott Ryan's performance is really good. He makes uh, Ray quite relatable. Brooke Satchwell is in it. She pops up as the love interest and it's great to see her. She's unreal. More Brooke, please. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. Um, so I'm not sure if I'll watch more, but despite it starting off feeling quite cliched and, you know, I kind of feel like um, since The Sopranos, we've seen so many shows where he's a criminal but he's complicated, he's got more going on. It, it does feel a bit done to death. I feel like this is different enough and because it's based in Sydney, I guess it's also different enough that, uh, yeah, maybe it is worth pursuing. Claire, what did you think? Yeah, I binged it. So, Gav, um, I yeah, I watched the first episode and then I watched another and another and it's, it's short, right? It's like it half is. an hour. So yeah. you can watch quite a bit and it's sort of, um, yeah, it's going to be a great, great show to have for Foxhole to have for its on-demand platform where you can just binge the whole entire series once it's finished. Um, I loved it. I really, really love the way that Nash Edgerton filmed stuff. He's really great at teasing atmosphere out of settings. But really, I think that this show is all about um, Scott Ryan, who's the creator and the writer and who plays Ray, um, based on the movie from a few years ago. He... He's, I just love the tension between the two worlds. Like, you know, one minute you're watching him talk about unicorns with his eight-year-old daughter and the next minute he's literally feeding a man to death or making a man dig his own grave. Like, it's really dark but very, very funny. And there's a very good scene in an episode coming up where he's, like, literally going underwear shopping with his girlfriend and then gets a call from his friend and who's basically um, being in the process of being robbed. So, yeah, it's really, it's actually really funny. Um, it, it moves at a slow speed but... I loved it. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. And as Matt always says, the hidden gems are often the best one. And we're going to talk about the Netflix doco Quincy, which isn't entirely hidden. There has been a lot of press around this. But I guess unless you're into docos or into Quincy Jones, this may have passed you by. Claire, you watched it. I haven't watched it yet and I'm dying to. What did you think? It's really great. And the interesting thing about this and possibly why it qualifies as a hidden gem is that we have to remember that there's a whole entire generation of people born, you know, millennials that wouldn't know who Quincy Jones is. And yet he is so ubiquitous. This is one of two fantastic documentaries airing on Netflix. The other one is called um, The Defiant Ones, which is a fantastic, amazing, best documentary I've seen all year about um, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. So Jimmy is a producer, Dr. Dre, obviously, everyone knows who he is. But this is kind of in that same vein. But the interesting thing about this documentary is that it's written and directed by his daughter, Rashida Jones, who is famous in her own right. And it's audacious in its scope. It's, it's uh, maybe because the man himself is just so ridiculously accomplished. Like, I mean, his career spans 70 years. I mean, 70, that's just crazy. The guy's 85. Um, and it starts back in the 1930s and it looks at his childhood in the 70, uh, in, in Chicago's depression era south. And he was a trumpet prodigy. And then we find out how he became a gifted composer and how he really made the careers of everyone from Frank Sinatra to Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jackson. Obviously, he produced the Thriller album, Hello, the most, um, the most successful album of all time. And he also discovered, weirdly, Will Smith and was the guy behind the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, excuse me, what? But the funny thing is, is that he's still very much alive. He was up until very recently still touring the world. And, um, he's had a few health complications recently. And I don't think it's understated to say that Quincy Jones is a living legend. And this is a really amazing, amazing documentary that looks at his career. And a lot of it is voiced by him. So you get to hear about it through his own words. 
Look, I have to say, those wanting titillation might be annoyed to find out that some of his headline-making things aren't mentioned. This year, he uh, he made headlines by calling Paul McCartney the worst bass player of all time. <laughs> um, he, he also announced to the world that he once dated Ivanka Trump. Weird. And he also said recently that Marlon Brando and Richard Cry used to sleep with each other, which is just crazy, and he's just apologised for outing them both. But yeah, so that all of that stuff isn't mentioned, but all of his stuff about all the 51 movies he scored and all the albums he worked on, all the people he's collaborated with, it's all covered off and it's done really well. So check this out. It's a ripper. I will do when I, when I get time, when I get through Ozark and Shit's Creek. Honestly, there's so much TV at the moment and we're going to be talking about... <laughs> You're a, up Shit's Creek, Gavin. I am, I am, without a paddle, um, without, a, without a remote. And uh, so much TV at the moment. We're going to talk about more next week. Next week we're going to talk about Will and Grace, and a reboot. It's back for a second season, one of the reboots which has actually done quite well. And Claire, we have found the best Australian drama of the year so far, haven't we, in Pine Gap? Yeah, there's a couple of really great Aussie dramas. It's like they were just waiting for them to, you know, everyone was just waiting until the end of the year to, to produce their amazing dramas. So can't wait. You guys going to love it. And hopefully Matt's like off his banana lounger and back in the office because who wants to just listen to me and you? Rabbit on. <laughs> that, that's right. I, th- I think we have one more week without Matt. So so tweet him at, oh, do we? at Mr. Matt Demby um, and tell him to get, to get himself back here uh, and tweet Claire and I. I am Claire and Gavin Scott 99. Tell us, uh, yeah, tell us what you think. Tell us what you tell like. Tell us what you're watching That's or if there's right. something we need to discover. That's right. And uh, obviously listen, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. Bye. See you later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.